Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Sixty-five-year-old John Gogarty had not been heard from for several days. His son, John Jr., grew worried. This concern escalated when phone calls to his father went unanswered. John was a familiar face in his hometown of Woomwell and enjoyed visiting the local pub, but he had not been seen there recently either. At around 4pm on July 17th, 2015, John Jr. drove to Marsh Street to ensure his father was okay. He approached the front door and could hear the television blaring from the living room. John Jr. noticed the door was unlocked, a curious detail as his father was very safety conscious. He slowly stepped inside. It took John Jr. a few seconds to register what he saw in the hallway. There was a trail of blood leading to the living room, and he felt he had no choice but to see where it led. John Jr. anxiously approached, fearing what he would find. As his eyes darted across the room, he fixed on someone lying in a fetal position on the floor. They were motionless and covered in blood. 
Welcome to Season 7, Episode 41 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. John Gogarty was born in a small fishing village in County Louth, Ireland. He settled down and had three children before the relationship with his partner fell apart. Afterwards, John was looking for a fresh start, and so moved to Woomwell, a town in the metropolitan borough of Barnsley in South Yorkshire. There he began working as a property developer and found love with Alison Field. The couple were married and had a son together. They named him John Jr. Unfortunately, the relationship was not to last, and John and Alison ultimately went their separate ways, but on amicable terms. John remained in close contact with his son, as well as his three other children in Ireland. He had worked hard his entire life, and by 2015 he was happily retired. John lived a simple but enjoyable existence in his well-maintained home on Marsh Street. It was the ideal location for John, just a stone's throw from the local amenities. He liked to walk to the local pub and chat with the other patrons over a pint of beer. John was known as something of a local character in the South Yorkshire town, where he was lovingly dubbed Paddy John, an Irish Paddy. He was a familiar face at the George pub where he was said to be quiet but likeable and open to friendly conversation. John was described as very kind, funny and generous, as well as a family man. His retirement had granted him the freedom to travel back to Ireland more frequently, to spend time with his children and grandchildren. On July 17th, 2015, John Jr. pulled up outside his father's home after being unable to contact him for several days. He phoned him from outside and rang the doorbell, but John Gogarty never picked up the phone or answered the door. John Jr. recalled, I began to feel something was wrong. I was going to leave until I noticed the garden gate was open. I thought this was unusual, as he usually kept this closed. John Jr. then spotted a couple of drops of something that looked like blood around knee height on the outside of the front door. He pushed the door and was surprised to find that it was unlocked. John Jr. said, I didn't have to open it very far. My father's glasses were on the floor in the corner. As John Jr. pushed open the door and walked inside, he could see his father in a heap on the living room floor. Thinking back to that moment, John Jr. stated, 
I shouted at him. But I knew he was dead. He was lying in a fetal position. It looked as if he had been attacked. John Jr. crouched down by his father to feel for a pulse, but there wasn't one. He called his mother, Alison Field, who got there in a matter of minutes. Alison later said of the scene, I noticed there was a lot of blood. It looked like it was smeared on the wall. Alison had worked in a hospital emergency room, and as soon as she saw John's body, she knew he had been murdered. After John Jr. and his mother Alison made the discovery, they ran from the property to a nearby police station. Officers and paramedics rushed to John Goggett's home. In the living room, John was lying on his side by the sofa in a puddle of blood. It was confirmed he had no vital signs. The police cordoned off the area with crime scene tape and began their investigation. John was pronounced dead at the scene, and his cause of death appeared to be evident even before his remains were transported to the mortuary for a post-mortem. There were stab wounds across the entirety of his body, predominantly in the stomach and chest area. Defensive injuries were apparent on his arms, inflicted as he attempted to protect himself from whoever was wielding the knife. There were no signs of forced entry, so this led officers to speculate that John had possibly welcomed his killer or killers into his home, unaware of the danger they posed. He never kept his door unlocked, and he certainly would not have opened the door to an unfamiliar face. Based on the crime scene, John Gogarty was attacked almost as soon as he turned his back from the front door and walked into the nearby living room. A forensic examination inside the home indicated that John had then fallen to his knees, where he was stabbed repeatedly before falling on his side near the sofa. The attack was ferocious and overzealous. In total, John was stabbed 69 times. Most of the injuries were inflicted as he lay fatally wounded on the floor. He had sustained extensive damage to some of his vital organs, including his lungs, heart, stomach and liver. The attacker or attackers had thrust the blade with such force that it cut through John's ribs. The investigation inside the home continued, as police and forensic experts looked for any clues that could lead them to the person responsible or indicate a motive. There was a trail of blood that led towards the back of the home, and blood on the wall by the stairs. When the police entered John's bedroom, they noticed a bloody footprint on his bed and faint red marks on various items in the room. This indicated the perpetrator was wearing blood-stained gloves as they rifled through John's belongings. 
Officers were informed that a few valuable items appeared missing, including an expensive bottle of champagne and some watches. As they continued from room to room, it became clear that the likely motive for John's murder was monetary. On the living room floor, police discovered a cash withdrawal receipt for £500. It was from the evening of July 13th, four days before John's body was found. This was the same day that the police theorised that he may have been killed. It was the last day that anybody had seen or heard from him, and the last day that his mobile phone was used. The police reassured the public by telling them that John Gogarty was killed in a targeted attack, and there was no danger to anybody else. Detective Chief Inspector Phil Etheridge announced, We are in the early stages of the investigation. However, the indication at this stage is that the person who carried out the attack was probably known to the victim, as there were no signs of forced entry. DCI Etheridge also appealed to the public for any information, no matter how insignificant it might seem. On the morning of July 21st, a 48-year-old man from Barnsley was arrested in connection with John Gogarty's murder. As this suspect was being questioned by detectives, the investigation continued. The police had obtained CCTV footage from the cash point on the high streets where £500 had been withdrawn at 6.53pm on the evening of July 13th. They were surprised to see somebody else using John's bank card at the cash point. It was a woman wearing a maroon jacket with the hood pulled up and a baseball cap underneath. It was clear she was attempting to conceal her identity. This led the police to believe the woman was somehow connected to John's murder. His phone evidence that someone, possibly John, had read a text message shortly after 6.42pm on this day. And just over ten minutes later, this unknown woman was using his bank card to withdraw £500. The day after the 48-year-old suspect was arrested, the police released the CCTV footage of the woman. They asked members of the public to get in touch if they recognised her. Detective Chief Inspector Steve Handley from the South Yorkshire Police said, We are working with the public to piece together Mr Gogarty's movements in the days leading up to the discovery of his body. The woman we want to speak with was on the high street in Woomwell at around 6.50pm on Monday, July 13th and we believe she holds vital information that could help us. Are you the woman in the footage? Were you in the area at the time? Can you help us to identify who this woman is? While the police search continued, the 48-year-old suspect was bailed pending further inquiries. 
His identity has never been released to the public since no charges were ever filed. Shortly after the footage was released, a tip came in from a member of the public who identified the woman as 38-year-old Helen Nichols. Further CCTV footage from around the same time showed Nichols in the presence of a man. He was identified by other members of the public as her boyfriend, 43-year-old Ian Burley. CCTV had captured them walking onto Mars Street where John lived at around 6.40pm on July 13th and then leaving Mars Street around 7.08pm. Burley and Nichols were now the prime suspects in John's murder and the police descended on their flat on Mont Walk at 10am on July 23rd. The pair were arrested without incident and two days later they were charged with John Gogarty's murder. They were both remanded into custody and were scheduled to appear at Barnsley Magistrates Court the next morning to be formally charged. details of the arrest saturated the media and social media. Many members of the community recognised the name Ian Burley. Burley had regularly been mentioned in articles across local newspapers decades earlier. He was arrested in connection with a brutal murder in Barnsley and he was currently out on licence for that crime. November 28, 1995, 69-year-old Morris Hoyle was discovered at the foot of his stairs. He had been beaten to death, and 40 detectives were assigned to the case to try and track down his killer. The police eventually connected the murder to Ian Burley. When he was arrested... Burley claimed Morris had invited him to his home to watch a pornographic film. Afterwards, the two men drank several whiskies, and Burley said that Morris, an openly gay man, asked him for a kiss. Burley responded by bludgeoning Morris with a whiskey bottle and then stamping on his head numerous times. The attack had been frenzied, Morris had suffered 42 external injuries, including fractures to his nose, cheekbones and eye sockets. Morris had died due to his dentures being broken and a piece becoming lodged in his windpipe. In the wake of the murder, Burley tried to conceal his tracks by burning the bloodstained clothing he had been wearing during the attack. He then attempted to sell the handful of items he had stolen from the home, including a watch. Ian Burley pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of provocation, but he denied murder. He told the jury that he feared Morris was going to sexually assault him. He also admitted that he was in a frenzy as he carried out the killing. Burley stated... I snapped and lost control and kicked him in the face a lot of times. 
The jury found Ian Burley guilty of the murder of Morris Hoyle, and he was handed a life sentence. However, Burley was released 18 years later in December 2013. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Much like John Gogarty, 
Ian Burley and Helen Nichols were familiar faces in Wombwell, but they had garnered a far more negative reputation. They were both known for their previous convictions. Burley was a murderer, while Nichols had been to jail seven times and had 40 convictions, mostly shoplifting and drug offences. Both of them had also struggled with addiction, and their choice of drug was crack cocaine. By July 2015, Burley had racked up a drug debt of £500, and his dealer, Ian Nisha, was hounding Burley to pay up. Burley asked his friend Kevin Doran whether he could borrow some money. Doran recalled, He said he owed some wrong lad some cash, and if he didn't get it, they were going to sort him out. Doran informed Burley that he did not have that kind of money and couldn't help him. Several days would pass before Doran was approached once more by Burley and Nichols. This time Burley asked Doran whether he could give him either £50 or £20. Again Doran said no, and after being refused Burley turned to Nichols and remarked, We will have to go on the rob. Sometime later another acquaintance of Burley and Nichols, Paul Hackett, was chatting with the couple when Burley told him that he had asked Kevin Doran for £500 because he owed his drug dealer the money. Burley explained to Hackett that he had been receiving threats from the dealer and petrol cans and cigarettes had been left on his doorstep as a warning to pay up. Around the same time, Burley was overheard telling acquaintances that he planned on robbing Irish Paddy. Paul Hackett subsequently saw Burley and Nichols again, this time on July 16th, a day before John Gogarty's body was found. Hackett asked whether or not they had somehow come up with enough money to pay Burley's debts. Burley responded by saying that his grandmother had given him £400. In the wake of Helen Nichols' arrest, she broke down and confessed to her role in John Gogarty's murder, although she claimed she was under the belief the plan was just to rob him. During a discussion about how to get Burley's money, they devised a plot setting their sights on John Gogarty. They knew he was financially comfortable and often carried large amounts of cash. One of Burley's former girlfriends had also worked as John's cleaner, so she knew where he lived. After the plan was hatched, Burley and Nichols arrived at John's front door. They were familiar faces to John, and as soon as he opened the door, they pushed their way in. Nichols described to the police how, once they arrived, Burley turned on John and demanded... Where's your cash? Give me your card. Burley ordered John to give up his pin, and when John refused, Burley stabbed him once in the back, which resulted in John desperately shouting out the four-digit code. 
Nichols claimed at this point. She left John and Burley alone in the home and went to withdraw the £500. With the money now stuffed in her pocket, she returned to the property. She explained to the police that when she walked through the front door, she found Burley stabbing John to death. They rummaged through his pockets and searched his home, stealing a couple of watches in the process. After fleeing the crime scene, they took their blood-spattered clothing and shoes along with the murder weapon and burned them in woodland close to their flat. The pair then returned home and placed a phone call to Ian Nisha, the drug dealer. They said they had his money and even gave him one of John's watches for his troubles. When Nisha's home was later searched, the police recovered the timepiece. John had evidently been wearing it when he was killed, as it was stained with blood. While Helen Nichols had made a confession, she completely denied that she played any role in the murder. She claimed that she thought they were going to John Gogarty's home simply to steal from him. However, the police did not believe her. At John's home, the authorities had established that an expensive bottle of Bollinger champagne had been stolen. When they searched Burley and Nichols' flat, they found an empty bottle of the same champagne. Police believe that it was consumed by Burley and Nichols in celebration of their actions. Inside the flat, officers also discovered an orange T-shirt that was stained with blood. Forensic scientist Michelle Walton would determine that two small blood stains found on the hem of the shirt had come back as a match to John Gogarty's DNA. In the woodland near the couple's home, the police also recovered the burned knife, just where Helen Nichols told them it would be. Ian Burley and Helen Nichols appeared in court via video link on August 10th, where they pleaded not guilty to the murder of John Gogarty. Burley pleaded not guilty to robbery as well, while Nichols admitted to the crime. They were both ordered to stand trial for the murder at Sheffield Crown Court, and a tentative date was scheduled towards the end of the year. At the time of the preliminary hearings, there was an ongoing pay dispute between barristers and the Ministry of Justice. This cut in fees meant that defendants, including those accused of serious crimes across South Yorkshire, had to represent themselves in court. This included Burley and Nichols. For the two recent court hearings, they had to appear without counsel. The prosecution made an application to tell the jury about Burley's previous murder conviction, but this was rejected by Judge Mr Justice King after it was argued Burley would not receive a fair trial if the details were made public. The 
murder trial began on November 17, 2015. During opening statements, prosecutor Graham Reed's QC described to the jury how Ian Burley owed £500 to his drug dealer. Reed's described Nichols' confession about her role in the events before arguing this account was untrue. Each played their part in the attack to force him to hand over his card and reveal his pin, then taking money from his account in accordance with the plan and then murdering him so that he could never tell anyone what they had done. The Crown presented a handful of witnesses, including various people who testified about Burley and Nichols' plans to obtain the funds to pay a drug debt. The prosecutor also called on forensic scientist Michelle Walton, who testified about the blood spatter found on the T-shirt inside Burley and Nichols' flat. The expert witness said that the nature of the stains indicated that the T-shirt had been worn underneath another item of clothing when John Gogarty was attacked, or that somebody had transferred his blood onto it while it was still wet. Further tests on the shirt showed that both Burley and Nichols had previously worn it, which meant it could not be ascertained who was wearing it when John Gogarty was killed. Helen Nichols approached the witness stand and sat down, choosing to testify on her own behalf. Her defence counsel, Andrew O'Byrne QC, asked his client whether she knew the plan was for John Gogarty to be killed that evening. Nichols told the jury she knew that Burley was going to steal from John, but she had no clue he would murder him. She stated... He said a few days before it happened something like, that Paddy needs robbing. He carries too much money on him. He said it a few times, but I didn't think he would actually go through with it. Nichols accepted that she went with Burley to John's home, but claimed she was unaware he had a knife. After Nichols returned from the ATM with the money to allegedly find Burley stabbing John Gogarty to death, she claimed she couldn't move. Nichols said to the jury, I was frozen to the spot. I just kept looking at the body. He was already dead. The defendant was then asked why after the murder. She continued to live with Burley right up until their arrest. She replied, I was scared of Burley. I didn't know what he might do next. After closing arguments, the prosecution and defence rested. Ian Burley had opted out of testifying and the jury was sent off to deliberate. As the verdicts were read aloud, John's relatives held hands, hugged and suppressed their emotions 
after the judge had requested silence in the courtroom. Their faces gave away their relation. Jurors found both Ian Burley and Helen Nichols guilty of murder and robbery. It was feared that Nichols would be acquitted, but the general consensus in the community was that Nichols was just as guilty as Burley. Outside the court, Detective Chief Inspector Steve Hanley stated, This was a horrific and unprovoked attack, and I am pleased the jury has found Burley and Nichols guilty of murder. Mr. Gogarty was a hard-working, security-conscious man who kept himself to himself. He was mild-mannered and never displayed violence to anyone. Burley and Nichols went around to Marsh Street on Monday, July 13th to rob Mr. Gogarty, but because he did not have cash at his home, Burley inflicted a level of violence on an innocent man that can only be described as atrocious. Evidence suggested that Mr. Gogarty was threatened for his money. He endured significant pain at the hands of Burley and Nichols, and I hope that their sentence reflects the severity of this inhumane act. It was not until after Ian Burley was convicted of John Gogarty's murder that the public were informed he was out on licence for Morris Hall's murder at the time. He had only been out of prison for 18 months. South Yorkshire police announced that they were raising the circumstances of Burley's release with the National Probation Service. The Ministry of Justice, who oversees the probation service, said that they would be conducting a review in a bid to make sure that any potential mistakes would not be repeated. A spokesperson said, our sympathies are with the victim's family following this shocking crime. A review of this case is underway, and we will carefully consider the findings and make sure lessons are learned. Serious further offences are rare, but each one is taken extremely seriously and investigated fully. December 7th, 2015, Ian Burley and Helen Nichols returned to court to be sentenced for John Gogarty's murder. Victim personal statements were presented, including one from John's oldest daughter, Nicola. She stared directly at Burley and said she would never forgive him for what he had done and branded him a coward. She felt that Burley and Nichols should never have been on the streets. A wave of emotion spread across Nicholas' face, as she said, In describing what follows, words alone seem trivial, incapable of truly describing our feelings when my father was murdered and stripped from our lives. Horror, 
agony, despair, chaos and confusion. My father was a good, decent human being who would never hurt anybody. My father was my hero and protector. I adored my father. I'm heartbroken forevermore to know having heard in such detail the violent death my father suffered at the hands of Ian Burley. Nicola described how she had tried to protect her 15-year-old daughter from the awful details of what had happened to John, but the case spread across social media all too quickly. The courtroom fell silent as Mr Justice King prepared to hand down the sentences. He said that John Gogarty was defenceless and was killed in a frenzied attack in his own home. The judge turned to Burley and said, You have never shown any remorse for this killing and have chosen to fight this case to its conclusion. Mr Justice King then added that Nichols' role in the murder was considerably less than Burley's, but she should be ashamed for doing nothing to help him. For the murder, Ian Burley and Helen Nichols were both handed a mandatory sentence of life. Burley was told he would never be eligible for parole, while Nichols was informed she must serve at least 12 years behind bars. Burley was also given a concurrent jail term of 16 years for robbery, while Nichols was sentenced to 12. After the verdicts were handed down, Chief Inspector Handley provided a statement. He referred to John Gogarty's murder as atrocious, and hoped that the sentences would in some way help John's family to come to terms with their loss. He said, This was a shocking crime followed by a complex and thorough investigation, and I would like to reiterate my thanks to the officers involved in the case for getting us here. Throughout the trial, Mr Gogarty's family has shown real strength and bravery. I would like to pay tribute to them, and I hope they can move forward with their lives knowing both Nichols and Burley are behind bars. So where are we now? In February 2018... John Gogarty's family demanded that a full inquest be held into the circumstances surrounding John's murder. They wanted to establish whether there were failings by agencies involved in Ian Burley's release from prison. The family had one meeting with the probation service back in 2016 about Burley which included pointing out the significant similarities between Morris Hoyle's murder and John Gogarty's murder. However, the meeting did very little to answer any of the questions that the family still had. A hearing was held at the Medico Legal Centre in Sheffield, and senior coroner Chris Dories agreed for an inquest to take place. 
Around the same time, it was revealed that the findings of the Ministry of Justice inquest into Burley's release from prison was suppressed. The Ministry of Justice said they were withheld because details contained, quote, personal data, and that releasing the requested information into the public domain would be unlawful. The coroner's inquest was held in March 2019. Mary Pilgrim, the former head of the National Multi-Agency Public Protection Arrangements Team, was among the first to testify. Mapper assesses and manages the risks posed by sexual and violent offenders. Pilgrim explained that 18 days before Burley was released, she had reviewed his case, which included the decision to reduce his status from high risk to serious harm to the public down to medium risk. Mary Pilgrim said, In my professional assessment, I would not have reduced him prior to release from high down to medium. She went on to say that Burley had two, quote, problematic temporary releases in the lead-up to his eventual release. Within six months of being granted his freedom, Burley had received warnings about breaching his licence conditions. In May 2014... Burley made even more serious breaches, including testing positive for methadone, refusing to provide urine samples and failing to attend a drug agency. Mary Pilgrim was asked by the coroner whether she thought Burley should have been recalled to prison after these incidents. She replied, Recall is around professional judgment. For me, I would have recalled. Pilgrim said that after Burley's release, MAPA processes were not followed by agencies. In November 2014, Burley was allowed to leave a supervised hostel and live independently. He was also no longer subject to random or regular drug testing. By April 2015, three months before John Gogarty was murdered, Burley routinely consumed crack cocaine and possibly heroin. He took to carrying a Stanley knife and was reportedly on edge, nervous and unpredictable. Ultimately, it was concluded at the inquest that there were missed opportunities to prevent John Gogarty's murder. Senior Coroner Chris Dory said Ian Burley had breached his license conditions numerous times and was given multiple warnings. Nevertheless, he was never recalled to prison. Dory's described how when Burley struck up a relationship with Helen Nichols, the information that she had a significant history of drug abuse was not made apparent to the mental health trust assisting her. The coroner referred to this as a lost opportunity of meaningful communication. He summed up his findings by stating, Returning Burley into custody would not have been an absolute guarantee against the harm that eventually befell Mr. Gogarty. 
It is possible that the offender would have been paroled again and that sooner or later he would have considered an attack upon Mr. Gogarty as a source of funding for any drug debt he had accrued. But I consider it plain at least that Mr. Gogarty would not have died when he did if Burley had been recalled to prison in 2014. Following the inquest, John's daughter Nicola called on the parole board to bring in stricter laws. In the Channel 5 documentary series released to kill again, she said, I don't think he should have been released in the first place to do the same thing again and traumatise another family. It's like letting a wild dog loose. He's completely dangerous. It's not fair. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.